0: Hi, I'm Dr. James Ahrens, the ADHD author and veterinarian. Welcome to Podcast 33 Sharing My Knowledge. My confidence in my veterinary learning had developed to the point where I was ready to teach others what I had learned. I call this the circle of knowledge. First, one must learn and understand the technique, next comes using what you've learned over and over again until it becomes a part of you. Finally it's time to teach others what you've mastered. This is how knowledge enhances our human experience. This next song, Change the World, is from a concert Mary did with the Leaner Lunker and Betsy Band in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. I've included it here because the cycle of knowledge, as I understand it, is a way to change the world. When listening to this song, think how much the world can be improved if we all strive to complete our individual circles.
1: I could reach the stars, pull one down for you, shine it on my heart, so you could see the truth, that this love I have inside. It's only in my dreams that I can change. even for a day I take you as my queen I have it no other way
2: in
3: Chapter 42. New Orleans. Hurricane Andrew struck South Florida near Homestead as a compact Category 5 system in the early morning hours of August 24, 1992. After buzzsawing through Miami-Dade County, Andrew proceeded to hit the Louisiana Gulf Coast west of New Orleans. At the time, it was the costliest hurricane to hit the United States, leaving $26.5 billion in damage in 1992 dollars. The storm was blamed for directly or indirectly killing 65 people, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Initially, Andrew was designated as a Category 4 hurricane. But 10 years later, after a reanalysis, the National Hurricane Center in Miami-Dade County upgraded the system to a Category 5, with sustained winds of 165 miles per hour and gusts of more than 200 miles per hour. Because of its shocking destruction, leaving neighborhoods looking like they had been hit by a bomb, South Florida in 1994 upgraded its building codes, and those became the toughest in the state. SunSentinel.com In New Orleans, I stayed in one of the big downtown hotels. Because water dictates its geography, downtown area has remained contained. When I went jogging in the morning, I quickly ran the gamut of fancy hotels, historic downtown, small houses, and industrial storage or transportation buildings. If I ran another direction, I could run along the gigantic levee, holding back the Mississippi from New Orleans. It was unnerving to see how high the Mississippi was, compared to street level. That's why New Orleans is so vulnerable to flooding. I had an idea. If everyone in the United States mailed one pound of soil to New Orleans every year, soon the city's elevation would no longer be 6 to 20 feet below sea level. I did not originate the concept of sending heavy goods via the postal service. It had already been done. In 1916, an entire bank building, probably the largest and heaviest object ever sent by parcel post, was dismantled and shipped from Salt Lake City, Utah, to Vernal, California. Its more than 80,000 bricks were mailed in 50-pound lots, one ton at a time. While the shipment saved the cost of wagon freight, they caused untold misery for local postmasters and railroad workers. Too late to stop the shipment, the postmaster general decreed that henceforth, a single shipper could not post more than 200 pounds a day. Parcel post, Delivery of Dreams website. The conference lasted five days. There was a problem with opening ceremonies. Because of Hurricane Andrew, Don Harris, the current president of the AAAV, the Association of Avian Veterinarians, was still in southern Florida. The welcome message he had intended to give was printed in the proceedings book. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Y'all done finally brought yourselves to the Big Easy. There ain't no place nowhere where folk just love to pass a good time like they do here. The folks on the conference committee done did their best to bring y'all here the damn best conference y'all ever did see. I'll guarantee. And de local folks what live here in New Orleans can't wait to show y'all the best damn time y'all ever done had. The only thing you're not going to get while you're here is sleep, so enjoy yourselves, and be sure to tell me personally if there's anything you need. Dr. Harris' actual opening address was way, way different. He had just come from the area torn apart by Hurricane Andrew, recounting how block upon block of homes had been leveled. Boats in the marina were flipped over, lying on top of one another. Cars were tossed upside down, thrown onto houses, which were now roofless. Entire areas of trees were flattened. Most importantly, he recounted the devastation to the animals in the area. He saw a dead horse caught high up in a tree. Acres and acres of bird aviaries disappeared, and exotic reptiles, freed of their cages, escaped into the bayou. Today there remains a problem with boa constrictors. Initially from South America, these slithering killers are now populating local swamps and eating the native animals. Losing himself while retelling the nightmare, Don teared up, taking long moments to gather himself. The memories were way too fresh. The impact of the total and severe devastation brought Southern Florida to its knees, emotionally affecting even the strongest-willed person. Lucky for us, Hurricane Andrew's impact on New Orleans was minimal. Dr. Harris regained his strength, and the party continued. In the evening, I walked down to the French Quarter, where the action is. I ran into Dr. Ed Ramsey drinking beer in an outdoor tavern. We hooked up with others and wandered the French Quarter far into the night. The main reason I attended the conference was to learn as much about ostrich medicine as possible. On the plane ride, I reflected on my new path. I graduated from veterinary school in the mixed animal track, actively avoiding the exotic animal medicine areas of the teaching hospital. I had no interest in these weird animals. However, ten years later, between the zoo and the ostrich deal, I found myself refocusing my career around furred and feathered exotic creatures. There was a total of ten lectures on ratites. I was becoming acquainted with the speakers and was impressed by all of them. I appreciated their knowledge and was an eager student. But I remained unsure of my confidence in embracing this new body of knowledge, feeling these guys knew so much more than I. After the conference, I flew into St. Louis where I reconnected with Mary and Adam. Dad picked us up and drove us out to his house in Centralia, Illinois. The temperature was humid, hot, and even more humid. I would go on a run in the morning, and by the time I was done, my shirt and shorts were soaked with sweat. Dad took us to a shallow, muddy lake, which Mary loved because it reminded her of the lakes of her childhood in Minnesota. At night, Dad and I sat outside next to the Bud Zapper drinking wine. A group of frogs developed a taste for crispy insects, congregating under the Zapper each night for toasted hors d'oeuvres. Dad and I stayed up until the Kmart sign went dark. It was our cue to go inside. In December 1992, Mary was gearing up for another ostrich season and was worried about the heavy workload. We looked at daycare options and decided we could afford to have a nanny come to the house. Mary hired Carrie, who fit the bill perfectly. Because she came from England and talked with a proper British accent, we had our own Mary Poppins caring for our son every day. End of chapter
0: The cycle of learning is like a perpetual motion machine feeding an ongoing expansion of knowledge. Significant advances in civilization occur when the cycle repeats itself.
3: Part 3 Sharing my knowledge with others Chapter 43 The Circle of Knowledge The cycle of learning involves a realization that leads to an ongoing expansion of knowledge. If this cycle is applied correctly, society will benefit. As the newly found knowledge becomes vocalized and is received by others, the recipients take these points and rework the new understanding to see how it can fit their experiences. Significant advances in civilization occur when the cycle repeats itself. This cycle can be slowed or stopped. During the Dark Ages, All knowledge was withheld from anyone but the clergy, allowing the clergy to dictate the principles of education. The clergy promulgated the earth was flat, it was the center of the universe. This monopoly over knowledge empowered the clergy with vast influence over illiterate people. The Western world became their dominion, and new learning came to a standstill. Today this is happening in the Middle East. I have a classmate who is working with the State Department there. He reports to his old classmates, 60% of the people are unemployed, and 60% of the people are illiterate. I feel we will not be able to influence the future of that country until people become educated, and such education there does not seem likely in my lifetime. The learning cycle needs to maintain its purity and honesty to benefit society. And this cycle has been circumvented multiple times because of politics, prejudice, racism, fear, selfishness, greed, and ignorance. The internet can be a direct circumvention of valid knowledge. Anyone who can type and has a thought can espouse themselves as an expert, and people who Google the website feel they are talking to an expert. I have had many clients come in with the diagnosis of their pet's problem based on Dr. Google, and many times the diagnosis is wrong. In contrast to the dark ages where information was kept secret, I propose the age of the internet creates the opposite effect. There is too much unfiltered knowledge available, which leads many into the same mental abyss that we were in during the Dark Ages. The difference today is the Internet empowers people to feel that they know what they are talking about, when the opposite might be the case. When a scientific paper is published in an accepted journal, the article is read and reviewed by colleagues of similar interests and achievement. If the journal deals with an experiment, the steps of the test are outlined so others can recreate the research and come up with the same endpoint. This is the scientific method. A person's paper has to be reviewed and accepted by peers within the correlating scientific community to be valid. Finally, an entire government can twist knowledge into profit for them and their cronies. Greed and sport were the drivers of the frenzied illegal economics dealings big banks were guilty of in the early 2000s. Rating agencies colluded with the banks who conspired with politicians to launder poor loans through legal channels. They about destroyed the world's economy and caused the middle class to lose years of steady gain. Somewhere along the way, every single group lost sight of their fiduciary duty, akin to the oath a doctor proclaims when admitted to the hallowed halls of practice, Do nothing that will harm your patient. The United States almost led the world into financial collapse when politicians neglected their fiduciary duties, turning their backs on regular people for more other important reasons, indeed betraying the blind trust that the people gave them. In February 1993, Mary and I traveled to Las Vegas for the annual convention of the American Ostrich Association. Adam, only seven months old, was no problem for us, so we took him along. Robin stayed behind to tend the farm. I continued collecting as much information as possible, adding any new items to different articles I was writing into my computer. I sent these items out for publication in the magazines of various ostrich organizations. The experienced ostrich farmers of South Africa refused to share their knowledge with us for fear of losing their hold on the industry. It was up to people like me to gather, test, and share our findings with the American ostrich breeders. Mary was in charge of the day-to-day aspects of the ostrich farm. Nanny Carey took care of Adam during the day. I came in to help when the chicks didn't hatch or if they became ill. I worked most of my time at the Tascadero or Paso offices. Many nights I worked past midnight on the computer. I was still upgrading my ostrich program. I was using Fox Pro computer code and called my new program Head in the Sand Software, or HITS, tweaking different aspects of the program to make it more comprehensive and user friendly. At the beginning of 1993, my notoriety was increasing through my articles. Ted Hopkins contacted me. He was the president of the Western Region of the American Ostrich Association. He asked me if I could talk on chick management and nutrition at the next WROA meeting at the end of March 1993 in Reno, Nevada. Although excited to speak, I was apprehensive at the same time. I didn't see myself on par with other lecturers. I formatted my lectures the same way I presented my equine seminars. I typed out the topic with a typewriter on a piece of colored paper, framing my subject with more paper, finally photographing it onto slide film. That way, I had my lecture points presented on a screen, and it guided my lecture. Robin and I drove up to Reno with my slides and slide projector. Ted scheduled my lecture for 3 p.m. Saturday. I was extremely nervous, and the speech was a bit stunted from my lack of confidence, but I managed to make it through the entire talk without significant mistakes. The next morning there was a veterinary panel, and I was on stage with experts seated among the same vets I had been taking notes from during the past two years. I sat next to Dr. Brian Spear, who graduated a year after me. His focus was on pet birds. I attended a lecture of his a few years before. In fact, it was my first bird session ever, the clinical evaluation of bird droppings. A year later, I called him up and invited myself to visit his clinic in the Bay Area for a day to see how a bird practice operated. Now I was seated on the stage next to Brian, as well as Dr. Karen Hicks, Dr. Jim Stewart, and Dr. John Wade all people I previously sat listening to in the audience, and it was crowded. The audience filled an entire lecture hall packed wall-to-wall. I was hesitant to jump in and answer questions, because I felt there were way too many expert opinions worth more than mine. Ultimately, a question was directed at me, which had to do with an aspect of the chick management lecture I had given. I nervously formulated an answer in my head, but as I lifted my head, I realized there were over 300 people in the room hanging on my reply not breathing until I mumbled the correct answer. I stammered out a few words, and then couldn't talk anymore. It was quiet, for just a little too long, until Brian realized I was dumbstruck. He graciously took over and told the audience what he thought I was trying to say. End of chapter.
0: Pay attention at the beginning, when Mary yells for our eight-year-old son Adam to come on stage to sing along. His little sister... Six year old Abigail yells out the warning don't do it.
2: This is in G in case you have auto harps out there and want to play along. I just can't hear anymore. There we go. We have the latest McGregor ready to go.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. The entire autobiography can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book, or an e-book, as well as an 11-disc audio book set, or can be downloaded from the audio book site Spotify. More details are on my website JEADVM.com